Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Earlier this month, transit advocates held funeral marches for public transit in Oakland and San Francisco. One by one, concerned volunteer pallbearers called out bus service lines that are on the chopping block. The 33 Ashbury 18. The 27 Bryant. They aimed their urgent calls at Governor Gavin Newsom and Sacramento lawmakers. Public transit agencies like AC Transit, SFMTA, and BART need a bailout. Because of a slow recovery in ridership since the pandemic, fare-dependent transit agencies have been staring down fiscal cliffs, facing huge service reductions starting in 2025. For Muni in San Francisco, that could mean cutting up to 20 bus lines. So advocates are asking for Governor Gavin Newsom to reverse $2 billion in cuts to transit capital funds and an ambitious $5 billion bailout. But California is also facing a budget shortfall of over $30 billion, and Newsom says the state is in a tough position to help agencies. State Senator Scott Weiner has been a vocal advocate of public transit agencies, saying the state needs to find the political will to finally prioritize them. California is receiving a billion dollars a year in federal highway funds, more than we anticipated. That should be flexed for transit operations to get us through this. After weeks of protests, transit advocates got support from state lawmakers late Sunday night ahead of this Thursday's budget bill deadline. A plan crafted by the state Senate and Assembly reverses the governor's $2 billion in cuts to capital funds, opening them up to pay for operating service costs, too. The budget proposal also includes more than a billion dollars in cap-and-trade funds over the next three years. But it's not a done deal. Newsom still has to weigh in on it, and until then, the fate of public transit agencies in the Bay Area is still unclear. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporters Dustin Gardner and Ricardo Cano join me to discuss what's at stake for public transit in the Bay Area. What would the region look like without BART or critical bus lines? And what would that mean for all Bay Area residents, not just people who take public transit? Later, Annie Fryman, the director of special projects at San Francisco's Spur, a policy think tank, will share why this critical moment for public transit is a true wake-up call for California. First, my conversation with Chronicle reporters Dustin Gardner and Ricardo Cano. Ricardo, I'd love to start with you. Transit advocates recently held a mock funeral for public transit in Oakland and in San Francisco. We know BART and other Bay Area transit agencies are struggling with low riderships and budget issues. Paint a picture for us. How steep are these fiscal cliffs and what exactly is at stake? Well, they're pretty um, dire, particularly for Muni and BART, the Bay Area's two largest transit agencies. BART 
is facing a $93 million budget deficit starting in March 2025. Muni is looking at a $130 million budget deficit starting in 2025. All this is going to happen once these transit agencies run out of the federal aid that has supported transit service during the pandemic. And right now they're looking to the state for assistance. And without that subsidy or or a bailout from California for BART, it could mean running trains hourly, shutting down service on weekends, and eventually closing down. And for Muni, the director of the Municipal Transportation Agency that runs Muni service in San Francisco has told me that they could start cutting uh, bus lines as early as this fall if there's no help from the state. At the same time, Dustin, California is facing a deficit of over $31 billion. And while we're still waiting for Governor Gavin Newsom to weigh in on the plan that the Senate and Assembly came up with on Sunday, just how tough is the ask that transit agencies like BART are looking for? Well, it's going to be an incredibly tough ask in Sacramento. The Senate and the Assembly have said where they stand. They put out this budget deal pushing to restore the cuts as well as the $1.1 billion to help cover operations. But we still don't officially know where the governor stands on this. I think we might find out in the coming days, uh, maybe later this week. So we still need to figure out where he's at. And the governor has been very clear in recent weeks. He said that he doesn't want the state to be on the hook for bailing out the operational costs of these transit systems. And He's definitely signaled that he's not open to the type of large bailout that some of the transit agencies have been asking for. The governor has said that these agencies need to flex a lot more accountability and take responsibility for some of the issues they've had, and he wants them to figure that out on their own. Hmm. So, Ricardo, this scenario of this bailout not happening and, you know, agencies like BART not being able to survive, what exactly would that do to the region? I think a lot of listeners would be very concerned about that. And a decade ago, that scenario came to life during a four-day BART strike. What happened? Just to set the picture in the Bay Area and why, you know, we're an outlier in terms of uh, transit recovery, we have 27 different transit agencies across the nine-county Bay Area. And not all of them are facing these so-called fiscal cliffs. SMART, you know, the rail system in the North Bay, the VTA in Santa Clara County, agencies that are already heavily subsidized through local taxes are not facing the same situation as BART is. And BART arguably is, you know, the most imperiled agency in California right now because Mm. of their funding structure. 70% of their operating costs were covered via fares before the pandemic. BART gets 5% of their operating funds from the state. So it really was a self-sufficient transit agency. But, you know, we did see what the Bay Area would look like without BART about a decade ago. The Bay Area Council estimated that each day that of the strike costed the region $73 million in economic impact. The Bay Bridge, without the Transbay Tube, saw about a 12,000 car increase in, in toll crossings. Transit agencies like the uh, San Francisco Bay Ferry and Muni and AC Transit tried to shoulder the demand, but they weren't able to do it. They were only able to cover a fraction of it. It just wasn't sustainable 
There were lines on the 80, 580 interchanges to get into the Bay Bridge. It spanned a mile long. The region's development has been so oriented around the BART system that a Bay Area without BART would clearly have a substantial impact, even if it might not appear that way right now because fewer people are riding BART. All of that underscores how urgently agencies like BART needs the state's help. But these agencies at the same time are under scrutiny by lawmakers. There are worries that a state bailout would not solve concerns that many commuters have, such as cleanliness or other safety issues. What are some of the chief issues? BART reached its all-time peak in ridership in 2016. And every year after that, it was seeing a gradual decline because of these quality of life issues. You know, riders saying that they don't feel safe riding BART. They don't feel like it's clean to ride or, or you know, they see the, the homelessness challenges that are endemic in, in the Bay Area spilling onto the BART system and making it more unpleasant to to take. The ridership has been mostly stagnant at 40% since last fall. Riders and, and lawmakers have said, you know, they want to see BART address these changes and see meaningful results. Uh, there have been numerous surveys that have come out at this point that show clearly that, that there is a perception that BART isn't, you know, safe to ride. BART, for its part, is saying that they're trying to make changes, they're trying to make progress, they're adding more police footbeats in the core of the system that has so far resulted in an increase in arrests. And and they're saying that, you know, they're they're cleaning trains and stations twice as often. Mm -hmm. BART is certainly making an effort. Another big challenge that BART is going to face is in 2026, which is when transit agencies want to ask voters in the Bay Area to pass a tax measure that would subsidize transit in the region and specifically subsidize BART, even if state help comes, you know, the next big challenge for BART and the region's transit is going to be convincing voters that, you know, this is going to be a worthy investment, that it will lead to meaningful improvements on BART. Dustin, transit agencies clearly have a lot on their plate, and they did get a sign maybe to be hopeful as of Sunday night when lawmakers hashed out a plan that would delay some of the anticipated service cuts. Now, State Senator Scott Weiner has really been at the forefront of all of this, and it's not just because of public transportation. Why is this so important, according to him? Weiner has clearly been the most vocal person in the legislature. And, you know, for him, he describes this as an existential crisis, not just for San Francisco, but for the state long term in, in a lot of different areas. For starters, he said that um, this would tank the state's climate goals if transit agencies are reducing service, forcing more people to get around in cars. Another impact that he's concerned about is housing sprawl, because it would be harder for people to live in dense cities and, you know, people would be more inclined to live in suburban or exurban areas, um, which ultimately costs more money in the long run. It costs the state more money to provide services in those areas. Wiener's also concerned about the harm to low-income people, students, seniors, different groups that are really dependent on transit to get around. And a lot of them, you know, would have a, a lot more difficulties getting to work or accessing healthcare 
there or other surfaces if, if there's less transit service. And the other big concern that he's talking about is just the recovery of downtown San Francisco. I don't think Wiener likes the whole doom loop narrative, but he you know, is legitimately concerned about the idea that if transit service declines, the city's going to have an even harder time getting workers and others back to the, the city core. So, you know, there, there are some very vocal advocates in the legislature. It's not just Wiener. You know, there's a lot of Democrats in the legislature, but there's also a lot of resistance. And I think it's important to understand the context for that resistance. Traditionally, the state has not been on the hook for covering operations for a lot of these regional transit agencies. You know, the state allocates money for some of their more capital projects. These are projects to extend lines or improve stations, but operations traditionally have been funded either at the fare box or by ballot initiatives that create regional and local taxes. So I think that there's a concern, especially from the Newsom administration and others, that they don't want to get in a position where the state is routinely on the hook to, to, to bail local systems out if they aren't going to figure out you know, their own problems. And I would say that that narrative has been fueled by frustrations with the systems. One official I talked to for this story, Assemblywoman Laura Friedman, the Transportation Committee chair, who's from Los Angeles. Friedman definitely supports the push to provide more help for transit agencies, but she thinks these systems have to step it up and you know do more to increase their fare recovery and also do more to in- improve the customer service standpoint. And I will say, though, there is a pushback from Friedman and others who say, you know, that that narrative that the state doesn't historically support transit operations, they're saying maybe it's time to revisit some of that idea because they think transit has been underfunded at the state level for a long time, especially underfunded relative to the highway system and the road system. The vast, vast majority of funding for transportation in the state goes to highways and roads, and they think there needs to be a more robust conversation, particularly in light of climate change and some of the other challenges we face with housing about how much of the budget really should be going to transit compared to roads. Certainly some big existential questions worth getting into there, and we'll do that after a break with Annie Fryman, the Director of Special Projects at SPUR, a public policy think tank. Dustin, Ricardo, thanks so much for helping us understand this complex transit funding issue. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We'll be right back. Did you know the number one way people discover new podcasts is word of mouth from their friends? So if you enjoy Fifth Emission, we'd love it if you tell someone about our show, even if it's just one person. Thanks for helping us make new friends. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Annie Fryman is the director of special projects at San Francisco's SPUR, a nonprofit public policy think tank. She's a former staffer for U.S. Senator Scott Weiner and a transit advocate. 
After weeks of protests and organizing by transit advocates, Sacramento lawmakers announced a plan late Sunday that would preserve capital funds to pay for critical service costs for transit agencies. But Governor Gavin Newsom still has to weigh in on it. I began my conversation with Fryman by asking her to react to the latest proposed plan by the state legislature. It's all relative to your expectations, right? I think that the expectation that we have that the state will help the Bay Area take care of our public transportation systems, this really falls short of the need that the Bay Area and really the state at large has. This should address a third to a half of the critical operational need that agencies up and down the state have. That being said, our expectations were really, really disappointingly low going into Mm. this. The governor's first budget that was introduced slashed $2 billion in transit capital, cut a bunch of operations funding, allocated surplus funding that we had from the federal government for transit actually into highways, which was a disappointment for not just transit advocates, but climate leaders as well. And so, you know, depending on which way you look at it, it was really reassuring to see the movement from the bill that was introduced on Sunday night given the change in where we were relatively before. I think that was certainly a testament and a response to the campaigns and the advocacy and a lot of the direct demonstrations that have been done in the Bay Area and up and down the state. But we still have a significant need left. And so the fight is not over to solve California public transportation's funding crisis. Do you have any guesses on what you think Newsom might likely do here? The deadline's on Thursday. What do you think? You know, it's hard to say. I think that... Given that the proposal that came out late Sunday night is a joint proposal from the Senate and Assembly, so really led by those budget chairs on both sides, the Senate and Assembly leadership, and then a very small subset of legislative leaders like our own Senator Scott Wiener, who's really been the statewide sort of spiritual leader on this charge for the last Mm -hmm. few months. This is the legislature's proposal. I am hopeful that Governor Newsom will really rise up to the challenge of what is needed so desperately for our state's economy, for meeting our climate goals, for serving transit riders that are disproportionately low income, and the role that transit infrastructure really plays in our state's future. That being said, I don't exactly know where he's going to land. And I, I anticipate that this fight, for lack of a better term, it will continue beyond this week. Now, speaking of State Senator Scott Wiener, I understand you've worked for him in the past, and you alluded to this too. In a recent tweet, he said that this agreement between the Senate and Assembly would solve about half of the transit fiscal cliff for the Bay Area over the next three years. How would that play out for commuters? What would that mean? If this is the only money that goes into operations and there are not additional sources either of revenue or of funding that's allocated through through budget systems, it will still mean significant service cuts. Although this makes a dent in it, the agencies and the operators have been doing their fiscal forecasting for many, many months now. And their calculations are that without that, you know, 100% of that increment they were asking for, we're looking at service cuts. We're looking at a slowdown of hiring. We're looking at revisiting how procurement is handled. And so 
it's still not going to be good for commuters. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really Mm -hmm. not going to be good. I think that the state proposal that was issued last night, one of the good things and strong indicators that it does that we've sort of been listened to as advocates really pushing for just responsible funding of public transportation is that it does make a multi-year commitment. And I think that that's a really critical, although technical point, is that Mm -hmm. The fiscal cliff is over the course of three years. And if you're anticipating a fiscal cliff in three years, you have to start taking action now to cut service, to slow down procurement, to slow down or stop hiring. And that makes riders suffer now even though that fiscal cliff is in three years. And now we need to look at many other solutions and stay adamant throughout the trailer bill process that that remaining increment needs to be filled. Well, Annie, that brings up a good question because, you know, in my conversation with my Chronicle colleagues, Dustin Gardner and Ricardo Cano, we talked about this existential crisis that local transit agencies like BART are finding themselves in right now. How is this moment highlighting cracks in our Bay Area public transit system as a whole? Is it about the funding structure or something else? It's about so much. Um, (laughs) I think that largely it's about the fact that we expect public transportation to operate as a business in a way that we expect nearly no other kind of public infrastructure to operate as a business. Um, It's a really important point that I think is getting more understanding and sort of the public consciousness right now. We don't expect libraries to operate like a business, right? We continue to give them operating funding to continue operating as libraries because libraries are important to us. Even other types of transportation infrastructure, highways being a great example. We don't expect highways to operate as a business, right? We give them money to be built, and then we give them money to be maintained, and then we give them Mm -hmm. money so that they're functionally free or very low cost for the people using them because we've decided that that's some kind of public good. And so I think that one thing that people are starting, both policymakers as well as members of the public, are starting to understand more is that Public transportation is held to this really bizarre double standard, and that is Mm. not a responsible way to have a sustainable piece of infrastructure that can continue to serve its needs because people don't stop needing public transportation when the economy goes up and down. People don't stop needing public transportation when we're in a budget deficit or different kinds of things happen. Mm -hmm. I also think the second is, is just that in the Bay Area specifically, We've historically had such durable, reliable transit ridership. There's a strong distinction between how the Bay Area financials work for our agencies and how, for example, Southern California and other financials work for other parts of the state. We have such durable ridership that our agencies have been able to disproportionately depend on fares to create that revenue, as opposed to other kinds of taxes, other kinds of allocations. And so what that means is that most of the time, we're much more financially self-reliant because it's paid for by the riders. But it also means that we're not putting the government's skin in the game and making sure our public transportation works and the broader tax base, even though we all benefit from public transit, whether we ride or not. And second, it means that when a once in a century pandemic happens, the Bay Area agencies get hit the hardest, right? Because what ends up being the most volatile 
is not the operational cost. It's the revenue that's coming in to pay for that operational cost. And so I think that those two components, one is about the state's expectation for transit to be self-reliant, which is something weird that we don't expect of any other piece of public infrastructure. And second, how risky it is to put agencies in a position where they have no other choice but to depend on ridership, because we know that ridership can ebb and flow when we're in these historic phases of transition. You brought up accountability from local transit agencies, and that's come up a lot in these negotiations. It does feel like BART, for example, has a public image problem. They have to convince riders that their trains are safe and clean to use. What do you think their strategy should be now? Are moves like increased policing or improving fare gates going to help? Some of the funding that's going to come through the state, through one of these pots allocated in the budget, we anticipate that there will be like accountability conditions put on them. And I like to think of accountability conditions partly as syncing up the state's expectation of the performance of transit agencies with the funding available to them, right? We can't expect on one end of state policy for our transit agencies to double in size while not having the commensurate increase in funding to make sure they're successful doing so. I also think that for accountability, a lot of really what we're getting down to is making sure that the money is managed and spent well and in alignment with what we really want to see from our public transit systems. And specific to the moment that we're in, making sure that that money is being spent in a way that really meaningfully attracts riders back to the system and retains the riders that we do have on the system. Ridership Mm -hmm. is actually increasing from the pandemic on nearly every system. Some of the San Francisco Muni lines are actually running at far in excess of their pre-pandemic capacity, which is incredible. We need to keep those trends up and we need to get lines that are not yet there up to their capacity. And that is going to mean making our transit clean and safe. That is going to be making it more integrated, more attractive to riders, more convenient to riders. What exactly those measures are, I think it's a little premature of me to say, but I do think mm-hmm. that every every rider on our transit system deserves a world-class experience to make sure that they stay dependable transit riders. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's possible that the Newsom administration and other legislators, maybe they don't want to be on the hook to routinely bail out local systems for operation costs. Do you think this current proposal from the legislature would set up that kind of precedent? I really don't. I understand the concern, but I really, really don't. The crisis that we are in for funding right now is very, very explicitly and directly a crisis of the pace at which we can recover from the really aggressive lockdowns that we had in California, rightly so, during the pandemic and getting our ridership back while we're in this historic transition moment of what is the role of our downtowns? What is the role of the office? What is the role of all of these other things? This crisis that we are in is not one of fiscal mismanagement and is not something more kind of foundational or deep than ridership patterns are changing. And it costs a bit of time and a bit of money to modernize our systems to make sure they're serving the riders that they need to be serving. And so that's a one-time transition moment that we're in where that might mean revisiting which bus lines come with which frequency to make sure that the highest ridership lines get the service that they deserve. All of these things cost operations dollars, right, to make sure we get it right. But they take a finite period of time, and I'm really confident that the agencies can get to the right place. I also think that given how the conversations have been going with the 
you know, governor's administration as well as with the legislative leaders, there is a really top of mind understanding, including from the agency operators, that what is happening now is this one-time emergency, and there does need to be a much more diversified source of revenue moving forward. I know that many advocates and many agencies think that it's appalling that California has one of the lowest operational subsidy rates of any state to any agencies in the country. Our baseline should not be an expectation the state has zero skin in the game because that is wildly off base with how most of the rest of the United States of America works. However, this idea that we need to constantly be having emergency bailouts is bad governance, bad fiscal Mm -hmm. planning, all of that. We need to make sure we're not in an emergency, that agencies are in a healthy operational place, that it's known how much funding they need, and that that is all in alignment with the state's broader ambitions for public transportation, our operations, our expansion, all of that, as well as the rider experience and what the agencies can deliver. Annie, I'd imagine that this has been a really unique time and moment for transit advocates like yourself. Even with all the uncertainty, this has been an opportunity to speak on the clear issues the state has fundamentally faced for a long time when it comes to public transportation. Yeah. And I think another thing that, you know, this moment that we're in, Obviously, there are folks who have been doing the budget and policy advocacy for months alongside really Senator Weiner leading the charge on that. But, you know, huge coalitions of advocates as well as the agencies and others. But I think a lot of the just normal grassroots organizing that's really picked up over the last few weeks since the assembly budget proposal came out, it helped people understand, one, how public transit affects you even if you don't ride the bus every day, right? It affects you even if you just hate traffic because you drive. It affects Mm -hmm. you if you own a business because your workers can't get in. It affects you if you're one of those workers because all of a sudden your commute habits and commute pattern is going to be radically shifted for the worse if you can't ride public transportation. California, to an extent, and the San Francisco Bay Area, to a much larger extent, holds as such a top-line social and policy priority that we take climate change seriously and that we are climate champions, really, and wanting to really raise the bar on what that means in our society. And I think we really need to remind people that there is no climate strategy that involves cities that does not have world-class public transportation at the center of it. Similarly, California and the Bay Area hold sort of out of one side of our mouth that we care so much about social justice and about equity and about lifting up and giving the tools and opportunities to low-income people for social and economic mobility. And so I think that public transportation is so intersectional at so many of these values that we hold so precious that we can't lose sight of that. This is not just yet another chess piece that we use in these bigger, like, strategy, math, zero-sum games of the budget. This is something so foundational to so many of our values that I think for a little bit of time we took it for granted. And now that it's been threatened, we're seeing a lot more clearly what is lost when public transportation is what gets the chopping block. Well, Annie, your perspective is so helpful. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Let's save the bus. Annie Fryman is the director of special projects at San Francisco's SPUR, a nonprofit public policy think tank. 
Learn more about the organization's work at spur.org. Thanks to Annie and politics reporter Dustin Gardner and transportation staff writer Ricardo Cano for being my guests. For ongoing coverage of state budget negotiations and public transportation, visit sfchronicle.com and the Chronicle app. Thank you to King Kaufman for editing this episode, as well as Laura Wenis for the production help. And thank you for listening. <laughs>